Ink and Quill illuminates on literature, culture and beyond. That's cool, isn't it? Listen to the sound of some incredible readings. The Great Wall story is the story of the relationship. The imagery in China is so strong. It's a book about the human story. Ink and Quill. Something provoking. We have to think like a queen. Something thoughtful. History is fantasy, really. Something fun. See some naughty people trying to steal panda cubs. All here on Ink and Quill. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host Yang Yong. China, with its 5,000-year-plus history and a language system that is seemingly different from everywhere else, may appear to be inscrutable and opaque to many outsiders. Yet, Stuart Lee Beck, an American who has resided in the Middle Kingdom for over two decades, Begs to differ. When you get to know people, almost everywhere in the world, but especially I think between, say, China and the U.S., there's quite a bit more in common between our two countries and cultures and people than we even imagine. Styling himself as the managing dreamer of a project named China Simplified, Beck has worked with some other professionals to demystify China and bridge the country with the rest of the world. Their brainchildren are two books. One is a fun guide designed to spark genuine interest in the Chinese language, whereas another is a light-hearted, fast-paced journey through China's long past. Language because it's the ideal window into the culture, and history because if you can understand a little bit about history, then you can much better understand modern China and its people. During the phone interview, our reporter Shi Yu first spoke with Stuart on his experience of living in China and why he launched this China Simplified project. Let's take a listen. I know you have been living in China for over two decades. So I'm wondering, at what age did you come to China and decided, okay, that's it. I want to live in this country.、Mm. My first opportunity to work in China came in 1992. I was around 30 years old then.、Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working in the computer industry, flying between the states and Brazil. An offer came to run product marketing for China and Korea, based out of Hong Kong. And my first thought was, "No thanks. I want to live in South America." That was <laughs> really my 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 dream at the time. Okay. The funny thing is, I really had no particular fondness for China at the time, but there were lots of clues. For example, my parents had given me the middle name Li, and as a young boy, I insisted on having a panda bear, not a teddy bear. <laughs> so, when you came to China in 1992, what was the general impression of China back in the United States?、Uh, at the time, that,、uh, foreign investment was pouring into China, but the average American was still skeptical and not really very connected or switched on to China.、Uh, a few years later, when I、uh, when I moved to Shanghai. And arrived there. There were only a few thousand foreigners. There were very few private cars.、Mm-hmm. There was no highway system. And at night, the city was quite dark, at least compared to what I was used to in Hong Kong and other cities. But、uh, amazingly, it was still quite safe, which was、uh, quite interesting to me.、Mm-hmm. So, when you first came to China, how much did you actually know about this country? I really had only a superficial knowledge of China, and I spoke zero Chinese. I just threw <laughs> myself into it. When I arrived in Hong Kong for the first time, I had a, a, an incredible feeling of déjà vu, as if it was this was really part of my path going forward. So I I, I flew back to、uh, the States and sold everything I owned and came to China with two suitcases. 
and then you stay here for about twenty years. I did. Yeah, I started speaking some Chinese. I traveled around the country and really just fell in love with the culture and the people. And and、uh, I still find everything in China the the culture and the life and and the way of of seeing the world is quite fascinating.、Mm-hmm. You know, during your stay in China, you have extensive experience ranging from、uh, marketing, financial services to TV acting. So I'm curious about what prompts you to venture into writing. And around that time, did you have any specific topics that you really want to write about? At the time, I was、uh, looking to make sense of the the differences between East and West. It's you know the the, the language and the culture and the way of life and the people. Are actually、uh, very different, but then when you get to know people, almost everyone in the world, but、uh, especially I think between say China and the U.S.,、mm-hmm. there's quite a bit more in common between our two countries and cultures and people than we even imagine. So I was just as intrigued by the commonality, the sort of the, the humanness that connected us all, and I wanted to find ways to tell stories to express that and to, and to show that yeah, we're quite different, but. You know, those differences are really what make us most interesting, and at the core, really just people.、Mm, could you make some examples? Because you just mentioned Chinese and Americans have more in common. Well, at this phase of development for China, it's、uh, an amazing contrast of of modern and traditional values. And in in the U.S., it's it's actually a it's also a place that has、uh, modern and traditional values. We have all this、um, high tech and entrepreneurship. And rugged individualism, but at the same time, it's underpinned by conservatism and, and, and seeing the world and, and religion and spirituality and, and traditional values.、Mm-hmm. So I think that Americans and Chinese, at the heart, both have、uh, an affection for their countries,、mm-hmm. and they both believe in the, in the values that they're founded on. And、uh, yet, we're coming at the world from looking at it from different angles. And I think that.、Uh, When we when we sit down and, and chat with each other, what we find is that、uh, those views of the world aren't really that different, and、uh, we we tend to get stuck sometimes on labels and, and ideologies and what isn't sort of coming from the heart. It's a little more in the mind, if you would, if you were.、Mm. So, is trying to find a common ground the reason why you start this project called China Simplified? Yeah, the the China Simplified was my idea to build this really wide cultural bridge、mm-hmm. from east to west and west to east. I sort of joke that、um, it might be useful after China Simplified is established to do America Simplified to help <laughs> all our, our, our Chinese and Asian friends better understand and appreciate、uh, what's going on in the United States. This isn't China or America for dummies. This is really being respectful for what's going on in both countries and saying,、um, how can we get to know each other better? In order to collaborate towards solving some of the world's most pressing problems.、Mm-hmm. So, when did you start this project, and how did you find your co-authors? Oh, that's a good question. So, once I decided that I wanted to do this cultural bridge,、mm-hmm. I chose language and history as the two most logical opening salvos in, in the culture in establishing this dialogue.、Mm-hmm. Language, because it's the ideal window into the culture, and history, because If you can understand a little bit about history, then you can much better understand modern China and its people.、Mm-hmm. So when I spoke with Katie, my Mandarin teacher at the time, and said I'd like to co-write a language book with you, she nearly fell off her chair. <laughs> I, I was probably、um, near the bottom of her list of potentially re- good students in in the future. I, I, my Chinese was very erratic, and、uh, and she didn't see me as particularly 
persevering in the language. I made lots of mistakes all the time. I still do. I also approached my longtime friend and production partner, Du Ming, and our graphic designer, Kan Jen, to co-create an entertaining history book. That was Shi Yu talking with Stuart Beck, the man behind the China Simplified project. Coming up... You hear people say, oh, well, Chinese is five times harder than Spanish, or it's two times harder than German. I mean, these are just relative numbers. I mean, who makes those up? My attitude is if you want to learn to speak Chinese, go ahead and learn to speak it. More to come, so stick around. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. I do find like humor is the key element, key ingredient of just two books, especially in language empowerment, the book about the Chinese language. You make some quite funny, I would say, scenarios or examples. Like you help people to understand like the Chinese word coffee, cafe as a brown morphing, like party as a sign couple. And I find it hilarious. Yeah, that to me was an entertaining element of the language. I know that that's not, not how the language was constructed, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that you can take that away and say, okay, now electric brain, mm-hmm. or, you know, Weibolu, microwave oven, yeah. or Kohong, mouth red. I mean, it, it's really a quite elegant language in its simplicity, if you think about it, because it, it conveys directly using this pictogram or an idea what you're trying to convey. And, it, and once you understand those components, it's, uh, it's quite... Interesting to me that that's the way that the language was constructed, rather than with uh, alphabetic characters to try to convey a meaning. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting because we constantly hear someone they complain that Chinese is too difficult to learn because Chinese we use pictures to write sentences, and some people think it's quite absurd. And we, as Chinese, we're kind of proud and pleased that we speak one of the most difficult languages on the planet. But in your book, Language Empowerment, you start off by addressing Chinese as the easiest language in the world. So I'm curious about why is that? It started off as an idea to offset some of the, uh, the negativity around the language that I think is stopping some people from learning a language that they might really want to learn. Mm-hmm. You hear people say, oh, well, Chinese is five times harder than Spanish, or it's two times harder than German. I mean, these are just relative numbers. I mean, who makes those up? My attitude is if you want to learn to speak Chinese, go ahead and learn to speak it. The easy part is that there's much simpler verb conjugations. There's no masculine and feminine. There's no singular and plural. And you have pinyin to help with the phonetic Mm -hmm. appearance of the language. You don't have to struggle over characters when you're starting off. Now, the hard side, of course, we say it's the easiest, but we also say it's the hardest, in a tongue-in-cheek manner, that uh, grasping tones and reading characters. Yes, these are hard, and eventually you have to read characters to master the language. There's no question about it. But I just think you don't have to start off and struggle and get demotivated with looking at hundreds and hundreds of characters that you might feel like you're never going to be able to read. So right now, how do you read your own Chinese level? The funny thing is, is that one of the things that I like most about speaking the language is that uh, there's plenty of entertaining mistakes to be made along the way, even if you, as you get more proficient. So, for example, I used to say, as a way to express my modesty in, in, in the language, to say, uh, my road ahead is still very long. Mm-hmm. But what sometimes would come out is, 
我的路越来越长 ，My road ahead is getting longer and longer. Which is sometimes how I feel in, in over the last twenty years learning the language. So, could you share with us, you know, some of the memorable experience you have, you know, during your studying Chinese? When I used to start traveling around the country and、uh, getting to know China, this was back in the early days. So, a lot of Chinese had never seen foreigners before. So, I would walk up and and in my struggle to speak perfect Chinese and be understood. I would work very hard to get the pronunciation right, and then I would say something like "xi shou jian zai nali," and the person would look at me with this blank face, not expecting me to speak Chinese. <laughs> so he might turn turn to my my girlfriend, my Chinese girlfriend, now my wife, and say,、um, "Did he just speak Chinese to me?" <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's. I noticed that perhaps this is true in other languages going the other direction. That、um, he didn't expect me to to. Actually, get something right in his own language. He was gearing up to listen to me in, in English and, and thinking to himself, "Oh, gee, I hope when he speaks English or Spanish that I'll understand him and I, I won't not miss the meat. I won't miss the meaning." But then I speak Chinese his own language, and he was flabbergasted by that. So I just find that quite endearing and, and、uh, a real statement about our mutual desire to be understood and to communicate.、Mm, yeah. And I find one thing quite interesting from this book because, as you explain those characters, this was you also explain the culture, how Chinese act, how Chinese talk, those kind of meaning embodied in Chinese language. You know, when Chinese always say "ma shang jiu lai," come right away,、mm. and actually it could mean maybe half an hour later. Yeah, that's. I mean, I love the ambiguities. It's one of my favorite part about. Parts about the language that the Chinese language and people enjoy letting you read between the lines. They're they're not anywhere near as direct as people in the West. So, yeah, ma shang dala, I'll arrive immediately is is a is a perfect example. The imagery is bareback warriors riding on fierce stallions across windswept plains, and it, it has a sense of urgency as if it's going to happen any minute. But it really means the person might be arriving in about twenty five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and another one is.、Uh, Ingai meiwenti, another uh, uh, insight into the language that literally means it should be no problem.、Yeah. But depending on how the person pronounces it, it it really tells whether or not there's a problem. So, ingai meiwenti, very dismissive, is oh, you can be pretty sure that there's no problem.、Mm-hmm. But if the responder says ingai meiwenti, then you know you could be in in deep trouble. <laughs> exactly. Just like you said, you know, language is is a window to help foreigners to understand how actually Chinese think. I think so. I, I think it's、uh, it's quite an interesting window, and it really allows us to、uh, understand the thought process and understand the people、uh, in, in quite a ironically direct way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What kind of advice could you give to people who are new to this language? I suggest people start with Pinyin and don't stress over the characters. Mm-hmm. Listen to Chinese recordings, and then listen and pause and repeat to sound more natural. And once you get comfortable speaking, then learn characters. So that way, you can enjoy yourself and not be afraid to make mistakes along the way. Bestseller, smash hit, page turner. Ink and Quill delves into the very heart of the works that make us laugh, cry, and sigh. So now let's talk about the historical part of your project, history flashback. Sure. Forgive me if I have been too skeptical here, because I I still think it's something 
a mission impossible to simplify, you know, China's five thousand years history into the book mm. under two hundred pages. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you pick out all those themes, events, historical figures. What is your criteria? Honestly, when we started this project, I was skeptical myself. I mean, it was it was a bit of a quixotic quest. It was this、mm. something that we thought that we really wanted to do, but the, the unspoken truth was we weren't sure we could even do it. We thought that it might just be a, a complete disaster, and when we picked it up and, and read it on, after we printed it out, that we were just going to throw it in the trash. So we were, Juming and I are, are both、uh, zen enough to accept that that was a, a clear possibility on this project, and we were willing to go forward anyway and give it a shot. So、um, we appreciate readers going along with us on this grand experiment to see if it really did work or not.、Um, we think it did. We're happy with the results. In terms of the specific selection of Of what we put in the book,、mm. we thought that we found it important to look for people and events that reflect on the modern DNA of China,、mm. the, the people and the culture now. Because in order to understand、uh, how how China is seeing itself entering the world, you really need to have a, a view of of、uh, what's happened in the past. So we chose people from different ages. Weren't just emperors. We looked at who was representative of the age. Yeah, and you don't need to know every emperor from the Han Dynasty to understand what was happening in the Han. If you look at Han Wudi, if you and Sima Qian,、mm. and you don't have to know everything that was going on across the entire history of the Qing era. If you know Kangxi and you know、uh, Cixi and some of the other emperors there, you get a feel for. The contrast between this incredibly successful early dynasty and the and the troublesome late dynasty.、Yeah. So we we spent a lot of time debating、uh, which characters really belonged in there: male and female emperors and common people,、um, artists and、uh, and literati. And the ones we chose, we really think provide a a, a composite view of what a modern how a modern Chinese person sees the world. And we we tried to do it in a in a lighthearted And respectful, yet、uh, entertaining and enlightening way. So, for example,、yeah. we have names for the characters.、Uh, Sima Qian became the heroic historian,、mm-hmm. and Zheng He became the floating CEO <laughs> because he、My、was、favorite. in charge of a vast fleet. And、uh, Sun Zhang, Mao, and Deng became the fashion icons for their stylish jackets.、Mm-hmm. So, we wanted to infuse the past with a new energy to engage a wider audience. Yeah, and I think your storytelling approach is quite unique in its own way. Could help audiences who have zero knowledge about Chinese history get interested in it. And there's one thing I find interesting because you make extensive comparisons between、uh, China and other historical events in in you know throughout global history. And my favorite to say like、uh, seven bamboo sages during the Jin Dynasty, and you compare them with hippies. In the 1970s,、yeah. so I, I never thought you can make contrast like that. I mean, I'm curious about how how did you draw inspirations? How did you come up with those ideas? Honestly, no idea. We <laughs> we just set ourselves to to make the connection between East and West because I think if, as a as a Western reader and and coming as somebody coming from the West and still feeling like I, there's still so much I don't know about China、mm-hmm. that I wanted to anchor. What was going on through these different eras of, of Chinese history into Western history, so people can make sense of it and they can connect it in their mind to the reference points in Europe and 
North America and all over the world outside China for their own understanding of it and anchoring point. Mm-hmm. So uh, we spent a lot of time researching what was going on in parallel. So in a way, it's uh, it's a Chinese history book, but it's also a world history book because yeah. we wanted to uh, make that link between East and West. Mm-hmm. So do you have any plan to translate these two books into Chinese? Because as a Chinese, I do find it interesting. That's, we've talked about that, and mm-hmm. I I, uh, I originally didn't didn't think about that as a potential, but uh, the more that Juming and I and others have talked about it, I think there there is a potential for that. So we're we're considering how we might best do that, and who we can partner with in China to publish and distribute the book. Mm-hmm. So far, we have gotten two China simplified books. What's next on the pipeline? Well, we're about to release a fun 90-second video to promote that history book, to bring up some of these characters to life in the in the mind of Western readers. Mm-hmm. We're also working on the uh, audiobooks, and we're considering a third book at some time in the future. Maybe American Simplified? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do that. I, I think the truth about this is is that the history and culture in our in, on both sides of the Pacific and in our respective countries is, is amazingly fascinating. These are incredible stories that a lot of people have never even heard. Mm. And in some ways, I think they're more interesting and, and even crazier than, than what we create as fictional content in books and TV and, and movies. Because these, these things really happen, and these are real personalities. And the more personally I get to know these different historic figures and the different perspectives that writers and, and others have, have taken on them, I think it's um, it just reflects as how incredible the... Uh, the human race and our collective history on the planet is. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the third one. Oh, thank you. So, so do you think, you know, after living in China for more than two decades, after finishing these two books, do you think your perception of China changed? I'd say I certainly know China more than when I started on it. At the same time, I, I really feel like the more I study, the more I realize how much I don't know. So, the whole process of writing these books was a, a humbling experience, but it was also immense fun. I sort of feel like uh, I'd, I'd do it again, even if I just was going to put the books on the shelf, because of um, the, the journey and the, the fun that we had as a team with Juming and Kanjan and Katie and Li Wei and, and uh, others. It, it was just, uh, it was such a pleasure. So to me, this is all, it's all labor of love, and, and I really enjoy it, and I, and I hope we can do another book and and uh, that people find it interesting. Mm. So do you have any advice or suggestion to China newcomers? Read our language book, first <laughs> off. Um, secondly, I think come into China with an open mind. Uh, we have expectations and we have preconceptions of what it's about, but especially in China, those, uh, those notions, notions tend to get defeated right away because you see that it's a little different than what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And for people that are coming in, it's a... In a way, it's a bit of a mirror because you can, if you come into China, you can find lots of things to be unhappy about, and you can also find lots of things to be happy about. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in, in any single day, there's plenty of joys and there's plenty of frustrations. But in the end, it really is about uh, uh, connecting with the people and finding something to engage yourself with there and uh, having an open mind. Stuart Bagg, author and a co-founder of the China Simplified Program, discussing with Shi Ru on how to use language and history to increase mutual understanding between China and the rest of the world.
If you want to get your hands on the two books he just mentioned, you could go to their website, chinasimplified.com, for further information. On that note, it's time to wrap today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world, and we will try our best to keep you posted. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account, China Plus, or simply download our podcast by searching the keyword "Ink and Quill" on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host Yang Yong. See you next time. Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish. Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe. <laughs> <laughs>